0: Barnaby Rudge by Charles Dickens had always been one of the great novels that I had uh, um, not really uh, looked forward to reading. I didn't really want to read it. Um, The reason uh, I hadn't, and this is Barnaby Rudge, a sort of, you could call it a late early period Dickens or an early mid period Dickens, but it's his novel of 1841 that uh, concerns the no Popery or uh, Gordon riots in London in 1780 and Dickens writing in 1841 after Oliver Twist, Pickwick Papers, um, um, Nicholas uh, Nickleby, but before um, a Christmas Carol and, um, and uh, Dombey and Son and then moving on to other great works. Um, this particular novel had a theme that I found a little bit threatening. It was a little bit personal because it is a um, – A a tremendous indictment in a word and story of religious partisanship, and especially religious partisanship on the Protestant side. In English history, now this is a a, a sore point because uh, I had written uh, books about the Protestant tradition within the Church of England and in English history and in American history, and had always been attracted from a very early uh, go uh, to the Protestant um, uh, insight of a non mediated relationship with God, uh, not a relationship through a bunch of incarnated um, Um, mirrors or uh, um, objects, but rather the clarity of a direct relationship with the Heavenly Father uh, that I had believed and still believe that uh, Jesus uh, of Nazareth uh, preached. And the insight that uh, Martin Luther had grasped hold of with unique force that we cannot in any way finally uh, unlose ourselves or save ourselves or find ourselves without aid but that we are standing in the need of of help. We are needing at all times to be saved and this, this uh, insight that Luther uh, derived from his own personal early struggles uh, is under the heading of grace. The grace of God, the help of God, the mercy of God uh, to double emphasize um, the extraordinarily pungent insight of the green pastors and uh, Mark Connolly and the New Testament that we are are really left to our own devices. We are um, in uh, some kind of a pinball machine uh, and uh, completely clueless and we need love, we need a savior, we need the meek and compassionate absolution-focused God that uh, Christians uh, believe we see in uh, Jesus of Nazareth. So uh, the Protestant insight always struck a nerve and continued to. So therefore, when I did know that the no-popery riots, the uh, very costly and uh, um, disillusioning uh, cause of Protestant religious partisanship in England had come to such a bloody and Appalling kind of conclusion you might say in uh, the year seventeen eighty, under the uh, mad uh, but in some ways very touching figure of uh, Lord George Gordon, who was a uh, Scottish uh, uh, aristocrat, uh, this uh, book put me off because I think it I said you know look the the, the shoe is on the other foot i mean the, the, the broad historical turning is of poor Protestants being uh, uh, mashed up and tortured by the by the bloody Marys and the Philip IIs and the Torquemadas of this world Hey, Torquemada, what do you say? I just got back from an audit de fe. Um, Mel Brooks uh, sent up the Inquisition so wonderfully in History of the World, Part 1. But I would always say, look, we're in a minority. I've even been in a church where where to to be a, a Protestant in 1980, 90, in the early 21st century, was to be a kind of pariah by definition. And that seemed so unfair given the history. And I could give you a million reasons. I could just line them up. But I'm also someone for whom the partisan religious struggles of the last 30 years in my own um, little historical context has uh, proven that these kinds of struggles and attached um, uh, wages of uh, conflict for certain ideas by which you attract like-minded co-belligerents or like-minded persons initially and then co-belligerents to to see that your point of view ideally triumphs or at least uh, weighs in and certainly... uh, Beats the drum. This kind of thinking uh, has, uh, in my own experience of the church, uh, led to um, a kind of awakening, uh, more uh, by the sort of vision of 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 what it was uh, touching in me. Let alone fellow travelers, who, when I finally had the eyes to see it, I realized, my gosh, um, um, where where am I here, and uh, why am I doing this, and what is really going on? That these strong uh, religious passions should uh, also be alive. With uh, very strong uh, passions of, 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 of angry uh, fulmination and polemic and controversy, so um, at this point I don't see much of an excuse for it. Although I'm very much uh, as Charles Dickens at the in the introduction, the first introduction of uh, to uh, Barnaby Rudge, Charles Dickens himself wrote that I am no friend to the Romish religion. So let it not be misunderstood that I am a uh, a crypto Roman Catholic here. Um, I am as aware of the next man of how. How that side of the Christian world can go and has gone, and uh, we find in uh, Dickens' history of uh, England, especially his passages, long- lengthy passages on the reign of, reign of King Henry the and the Marian martyrs and Elizabeth, we know exactly where he stood vis-à-vis the Protestant-Catholic divide. He he himself saw Protestantism as the as the refuge of those who were trying to understand uh, Christ's work uh, as it really was, uh, without accretions and non-mediatedly, and he saw that the of uh, grace and the mercy of god was the was the central fact of, of 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 life really as you see it in a christmas carol and um um, um uh, uh, son and and david copperfield very definitely and I could go on and on now um that is not to say that um, I do not speak as a convinced uh, 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 Christian uh, in in the uh, uh, and, and that the word Protestant still has um, important and, and, and splendid associations, but I'm also aware that the lesson of Barnaby Rudge that religious passion can ally itself with uh tremendous negative feelings in the human. Breast that this um, uh, Barnaby Rudge now can speak to me finally after many, many years. Now, I'm going to say just a little bit about the novel because these uh, podcasts are not here to be sort of uh, great moments in Western literature or great moments in uh, gothic horror films or great moments in uh, uh, eccentric interests. They are simply one man's uh, weighing of his own. Personal struggles, especially those that relate to 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 questions of philosophical origins and the meaning of work and the meaning of love and the fruit of love and the consequences of love and the cost of love and the value of love these uh, these that 's the core of all these podcasts the The uh, means through which or the windows through which the light shines varies, and you would have your own and all of those who may listen to this or any who listens to this will have his or her own um, medium through which love and hope uh, is, uh, and wisdom and truth and knowledge is conveyed. But for me, it's the works that uh, have fallen to my interests over the years. And so I'm speaking as a recent uh, finisher of the 1841 novel Barnaby Rudge. I had seen it. The British, the BBC did a 13 part. Um, a teleplay of it, very long and very accurate to the book in 1960 and it's uh, known for the uh, John Wood, the famous John Wood, plays uh, the idiot, the autistic Barnaby Rudge, and a number of other well-known characters. Joan Hickson plays Mrs. Varden, Mrs. Varden whom I'll speak about in a minute. And Joan Hickson was very young then, but she later became a very um, endearing Miss Marple on uh, BBC more recently. And we also have Jennifer Danielle who, um, who played in... Uh, in Hammer Horror Films, and in particular, Jennifer Daniel is, uh, uh, plays the hapless uh, uh, heroine to the villainous heroine uh, in The Reptile by John Gilling. So all these were important reasons to watch it, and I did watch the whole 13 episodes. It's very lengthy and very thorough and very, very good in aggregate. But it was also made in 1960, and it's on live television. It's sort of like watching old episodes of Dark Shadows, but with a lot of of Dickensian exposition. Um, But it's still worth watching, and you can rent it from Netflix today. Now, the Um, Very powerful theme of this novel, which helps me to say a few things about religious conflict and controversy and partisanship uh, as I go. The deeper theme of the novel is not religious partisanship, but it's fathers and sons. And in the Publican, the man who owns the Maypole pub in Chigwell, Essex, uh, John uh, Bennett, you have an irascible and impossible and merciless father who almost destroys his son Joe's life and virtually forces Joe to go off uh, to run away as a young man and become a soldier and he ends up losing an arm in the American Revolution. Obviously His Majesty's Grenadier um, and he comes back uh, without an arm and uh, uh, his father has driven him uh, away from his true love, away from everything. And uh, The book is about father and sons the there is a character called sir john chester who is a uh Uh, a a Chesterfieldian um, hyper-sophisticated caricature of the Earl of Chesterfield's uh, blasé sophistication and worldliness that Dickens has absolutely no time for. He sees it as lacking heart. And this father has also driven away, in a dreadful way, his young uh, son Edward Chester. And Edward Chester is forced to uh, be uh, in an impossible situation with his true love, Emma Haredale. And uh, She is a Catholic and he is a Protestant, but only in lineage. And uh, you have uh, that, uh, brings up, but the, the rounding circle of impossible, destructive, and finally terminal father and son relationships by which both sons, Joe Willett and Edward Chester, are able finally to break through, but they have to break through violently from their father's uh, abnegation of duty and in some ways their father's cruel patriarchal uh, prerogatives which are exercised with malice and a, a selfishness that is almost impossible to believe if I hadn't seen it in a million other real cases in life. That's what finally the book is really talking about, is fathers and sons, but it is also talking about number three in the list of great themes of this 660 or so page book that I just finished but spoke so much is the um, the perils of strong religious feeling. And in this case, it's not the perils of a of a uh, dogmatic or impossible or hierarchical or inquisitorial or suppressive uh, Catholicism, but it is, or the Russian Orthodox Church, which Tolstoy uh, became on such a conflict uh, course with. But in this case, it's with the uh, anti-Catholic sentiment and the mob in England in the 18th century when the so-called Catholic uh, penal laws against the practice of the Catholic religion, which had been in place since the Protestant Reformation of the 1560s when Catholicism was a terrible danger to the English nation state and to the English people and to freedom of thought and conscience and ultimately their relations with God and the Church of England was born in the uh, catastrophe of the uh, burning of heretics under the Catholic Queen Mary and these became a kind of memory in English culture that lasted a couple hundred years. Almost forgotten today although there is a the potential for mob violence in the English psyche seems unchanged if you look at the soccer rioters and the so-called yobs that have developed such a name for themselves in uh, in uh, in uh, uh, continental Europe in connection with uh, football matches. But the um, the story is of a of a Lord Gordon who uh, a, a sincere, passionate, uh, capricious. Uh, um, but do I want to say, a man of tremendous feeling who who decides to carry a petition to the Houses of Parliament against the laws which would free the Catholics to practise Catholicism out of a fear that England will be overcome by authoritarian Catholicism. And Lord Gordon is portrayed as a misguided, very sincere, odd, and in some ways almost funny and very vulnerable man who is always second-guessing himself and surrounds himself with some awful people and makes some terrible errors, but ultimately is really a, a very, um, what is it like in Bye Bye Birdie? We're uh, we're just totally sincere. We're just absolutely sincere, um, and uh, unfortunately, he he doesn't see what's going on around him, and he doesn't even see into his own um, kind of uni His his passion, which goes down one road, and he can't see anything else but what he sees. And he's a young man, and he has bad advisors And the long and the short of it is, he uh, he ends up becoming the the um, the 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 uh, light rod for uh, kind of anti-Catholic prejudice which is soon tied in with mob sort of, uh, you know, you hate Hosni Mubarak, I mean the the mob that is always underneath all uh, autocratic and class written societies where there is festering seething below the surface even though it hasn't been seen for 10 or 15 years you may say or hasn't been picked up there is this mob, uh, this terrible negative uh, fermenting um, rebellion and uh, in England with the Georges and with the way it was and the criminal laws and with the liberal use of alcohol to sedate the working man, you might say. Nothing's changed there. Uh, the, there was a kind of a spark there. So when Lord Gordon comes into London in Barnaby Rudge with his uh, great petition of 30,000 or 40,000 names to to keep England from uh, letting the door open for um, European Catholicism, and it's all under the uh, phrase, no popery." No, these are called the No Popery Riots because that was kind of the, the the back and forth, the the code, the password, No Popery, and much has been written about these. Uh these um, riots in socioeconomic, political, and sociological terms and uh, dickens wouldn't doesn 't have time for that he 's interested in them as a as a misguided attempt on sincere people to do what they think is right, but gets tied in with religious feelings which become very quickly too inflamed into a kind of dogmatic or or um, God told me to type of passion which then um, ties in or allies itself with the worst spirits of the london mob the the, the really the the choicest negative people, the most angry and resentful types who are drawn to the flame, and then they draw innumerable others with them, because most people don't even think about these things, and then with the addition of alcohol and a little success at the start, and some fire and some killings, and uh, again, this tremendous sense that they are doing something in the right, uh, causes a mass action that burns down the old Newgate prison, 41 large houses of of the nobility, and a whole bunch of so-called Catholic chapels that were attached to European embassies at the time in London and a massive cataclysm which almost in fact brings the whole English government down And but for the timely and almost not not asked for uh, inertia, initially inertia um, of correspondence the army finally does take control and the mob is defeated hundreds are shot and uh, uh, I think 62 are hung including Two of the main characters in the play, uh, the Barnaby Rudge, and almost the eponymous hero, Barnaby Rudge himself, who is an autistic young man who has uh, who who has every uh, symptom of autism if you 've been exposed to it and know it without the word uh, and um, systematically and uh, upsettingly described at length by Dickens. But he is also the symbol of a kind of uh, hidden knowledge, an unconscious truth uh, with his raven representing a a little bit of of a... Sop to Edgar Allan Poe, whose work uh, Dickens admired in that period, and Barnaby, the autistic child, and his raven who gets caught up in the mob's violence and almost is hanged himself. But I want to um, bring this to the climax of the message about partisanship. uh, Now, the secular world uh, wants to write off religion because of the excesses of religious people. The, quote, secular world uh, wants to say that religion itself is the cause. What did uh, Lucretius, the Roman philosopher in the era of the Emperor Augustus, what did he say? Uh, Religio est origo omnium malorum, something like that. Religion is the origin of all evils. We have often said in the Bible, money is the root of all evil. But Lucretius, the uh, Epicurean uh, philosopher, the... um, what is the word, Democritan philosopher. The atomistic philosopher Lucretius says that... uh, um, religion is the root of all evils, and many secular people, because they watch, you know, what fools these mortals be, to quote uh, *Midsummer's Nightstream, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, uh, looking upon the wars of religion, both in Europe and the American um, culture wars of recent times, and now the Islamic um, jihad and the various uh, organizations and forms that that takes. And uh, no wonder people looking at it would say, "My gosh." Uh, let's just cure the world of its religion and we'd cure the world of of this kind of conflict and I know what they're saying but um, to a religious person it is rather these conflicts a salutary warning to never be deflected from that which is core the spirit of the thing and to be very watchful over the alliance of passionate religious feelings by which you identify your actions with the actions of almighty God as they then uh, unconsciously and sub-rationally ally themselves with all kinds of sub-rational negative feelings in the hearts and lives of others who may not at all see the um, see the, the the depth of the motivation that, that you may feel or you may see. It causes us to be very watchful, as the wars of religion in this country have caused me to be far more watchful in 2011 than I might have been in, uh, in um uh, 2002 uh, 2003 2004 2005 and the climax of the novel in respect to this particular aspect occurs on page 412 and just before it when the um, the house in which the hero locksmith Gabriel Varden and his wife um, Martha Varden and their beautiful daughter Dolly and uh, their apprentice um, uh, Simon Tappertit lived together with a serving maid named Miggs. And uh, after 412 pages, uh, Varden himself is a wonderful man, but his wife is a bigot in the no-popery or Protestant cause and is an absolute Pharisee and the most of a killjoy and a, just a bickering, cantankerous, mean-spirited, no joy, everybody's idea of a pharisaical evangelical, uh, Mrs. Martha Varden has become, and she's about 50, but her husband is a religious man, a Christian, but um, a Huguenot, as it turns out, uh, by uh, origins, uh, but a man of... uh, of great tolerance and great humor and great wisdom and great love and uh, uh, completely um, uh, blocked by his wife on every score and just uh, really catacalled and uh, reduced by her withering religious self-righteousness. She's a a definite villain in the... uh, in the book. But the mob on its way to present the petition of Lord George Gordon, who by the way, just in case you don't know, after 1780 he was imprisoned in the Tower of London found not guilty of high treason but then imprisoned again for a couple of other rather fanatical and extraordinary things that he did that I could go into. Lord George Gordon finally was sentenced to, to a long term in the Tower in, actually in Newgate Prison. First in the Tower of London but then for other of crimes uh, which were more in the matter of libel, um, but very serious offenses uh, even today, and he was imprisoned for a long period, and he died in prison, but he became in prison uh, just before he was imprisoned for the last time. He uh, converted to Orthodox Judaism. And he uh, became an absolute icon for the Jewish community in Birmingham, England, and especially in London. He was an Orthodox uh, Jew of the Orthodox Jews. He kept the law in every particular. And here Lord George Gordon, the savior of the Protestant partisan rioting, mob as he was understood uh, in the uh, 1770s up to 1780 became an orthodox Jew grew his locks long wore his uh, tefillim and his mezzeza and all these things and uh, uh, died in prison and would only see Jews who were orthodox to come to see him he would see Gentiles but among the Jews who would see him they had to be orthodox and he lived as it turned out with a young Jewish girl probably I'm almost sure platonically but she had a transference to him and she was sort of like in Little Dorrit. She was the Little Dorrit of the Marshalsea, but in this case of Newgate, and waited hand on foot on this 47 year old, 44 uh, year old uh, lord who had become an Orthodox Jew and forsworn his Christianity. Now, that is the most interesting fact about how unstable such. Uh, passionate partisan people can end up being, and I'm sure you've you you've seen this in in your own life. Uh, the turns that people can make. Well, in any event, back to the climax of the novel on page four hundred and twelve. The mob uh, invades Chigwell, and uh, and uh, the um. The uh, apprentice who has uh, been living with the Vardans is now drunk, and he's drunk with revolutionary spirit. He's become one of the leaders of the riot, and something else happens to him. But he's become one of the leaders of the no-popery riots, and he's an absolutely hypocritical, leering, lecherous young man who is vain, and you could not find a more sort of yuck, disgusting uh, character as the young, oily um, apprentice. Uh, he's he's uh, sort of an, a prototype for Uriah Heep uh, later on in Copperfield, but he's just appalling. But he has come back after the first night of riding, and he's challenged Mr. Varden in the most upsetting way, and he's actually attacked Mr. Varden in the, in the, the sitting room and uh, almost killed uh, poor, uh, older Gabriel Varden, the very young apprentice has, and screamed and shouted at him and kicked him. And then he's run out, and, and Varden has chased him out of the house and uh, has been t- stood up to this man who's 25 years younger than he, and Varden, the old man, uh, rallies powerfully, to, and his whole house is being destroyed, chases the man out, and then Simon Tappertit, the uh, just awful, um, leering, and um, snake-like apprentice runs away, and Varden, who's still a big man of great uh, courage and some physical fitness, almost chases him down. But he returns home. The house is a mess, and he's just desperately um, unhappy. Uh, I I mean, he's just been been this terrible catastrophe, and they're in the middle of the riots, and we're not even sure if the house isn't going to be burned down. And he returns, and now we see to what happens to his wife. Now, Mrs. Varden was impressed with a secret misgiving that she had done wrong. Now, remember, Mrs. Varden, for 400 pages, has been the voice of religious, quote, dogmatic, self-righteous, pharisaical, church lady, partisanship. She was impressed with a secret misgiving that she had done wrong, that she had, to the utmost of her small means, aided and abetted the growth of disturbances the end of which it was impossible to foresee, that she had led remotely to the scene which had just passed, that is, the terrible scene of violence with her husband and the appalling Simon Tappertit. And so strongly did Mrs. Varden feel this, and so crestfallen was she, that while her husband was pursuing their lost journeyman, she secreted under her chair She secrets under her chair the little box that she'd had on the mantelpiece, which said the Protestant Association, which all visitors to the house were expected to make an offering to. And she's now secreting under her chair the symbol of what she now realizes very sincerely and with extraordinary crestfallenness, uh, the fruit of her... Her partisanship has resulted in the near death of her husband and the near destruction of her house and the the terrible, um, frenzied, murderous uh, development of a raging mob of people marching into London to burn and pillage. Mrs. Varden, then the locksmith, comes back, and Mrs. Varden produced this... Um, offering kind of uh, model of a house. She had no resource but to reduce it, which she did with many tears and broken protestations that if she could have known... And then this is the, the important part. Yes, yes, said Varden. That is, yes, yes, said her husband. Of course, I know that. I don't mean to reproach you, my dear, but recollect from this time that all good things perverted to evil purposes are worse than those which are naturally bad. A thoroughly wicked woman is wicked indeed. When religion goes wrong, it is very wrong for the same reason. Let us say no more about it, my dear. Well, please don't stumble, dear listener, on his expression, a thoroughly wicked woman is wicked indeed. What he's saying there is that he's saying, uh, as any man at that time of, of grace would have said, a chivalry, that a, a woman is a good thing, <laughs> a very good thing from his point of view. Uh, but then, but, but if a woman, in his view, uh, gets uh, becomes uh, tied in with uh, perverted to evil purposes, then that which was good becomes indeed wicked, worse than those things which are naturally ba- bad. And then he adds, Adds, when religion goes wrong, she is very wrong for the same reason. Let us say no more about it, my dear. And then, at the end of the chapter, this is chapter fifty-one. With that, he gave his wife a hearty kiss and bade her delay no longer, or it would be time to rise before she lay down to rest. And Mrs. Varden quite amiably and meekly walked upstairs. Well, the uh, the very charitable uh, attitude of Mr. Varden. To not say, I told you so, after 400 pages of this obnoxious person's judgments and um, really evil speakings of her fellow man, and many of them misinformed, entirely not in the spirit of that which is a religion of mercy, absolution, grace, and generosity. The refusal of her husband to say, I told you so is extremely striking and a real um, picture of, if I may say, true religion. He does not hold her witchiness against her in words, and indeed, and he refuses to talk about it. He comments, and this is the voice of the author, that religion is a good thing, but when it goes bad, it goes very bad. Well, I'm finished, but I want to just reflect a little bit on my own history. When that which is Core, and in my own way of putting it, the core would be the mercy, the forgiveness, and the absolution of God for his straying and lost creatures. The heart of the message is the when he says um, do not forgive people seven times, but seventy times seven. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This central core mercy, as de lord himself is required to understand, a kind of divine Mrs. Varden in the Immortal Act Two of the Green Pastures, A divine Mrs. Varden, you know, that's exactly what the Lord is as Rex Ingram, a chastened God who understands about himself that he hasn't been calling upon that which is most typical of himself, which is his mercy and forgiveness. And when um, this is lost and when the secondary um, expressions of it in churchmanship or in prayer book or in... Uh, social um, values and in all sorts of uh, other things that uh, are almost best left to your thinking when those things take over there is no question that the center thing is kind of slightly dislodged or slightly put off its axis and the result is, uh, is is a perversion of that which was Uh, in its founding moment, the essence of what it is to be a human and to help uh, our fellow man, our fellow woman with the uh, enigma and disappointments and finally the sufferings of human existence and so when the secondary things come in whether they be catholic protestant uh, whatever religion you want to name at this point then you have uh, something that's off it's it's off its axis and then because it's off its axis the angle of its reach is going to be it's going to be reaching into the wrong segment of the people not the wrong people but the wrong segment of everybody and that often means uh, animus and malice and group solidarity and uh, the judgmentalism that characterizes all religious passions when they're objectified into some kind of struggle. And the result is conflict and broken bones and broken dishes and broken lives and uh, an awful lot of reaction and response to what appears to be the fiery um, furnace of uh, of religion itself, which in its true form—and this was true of the great teacher Gautama Siddhartha—and it was true, uh, in my own opinion, of the universal insights of uh, of the prophet, whose uh, first sutras, uh, upon returning from the cave and the initial visions, are poetic in the max and are words simply of the universality of the worship of one. God as opposed to the stone gods and the imaginary gods that are as many as there are persons and problems. And finally, the kind of expression of the divine uh, motive uh, which is revealed, and uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of Heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This voice of true religion is finally come, after much grief, to be the voice of those who survived the terrible destructions of the Gordon riots. And uh, we see them in the concluding chapters, even in the uh, autistic. Young man Barnaby Rudge, whose uh, statement of faith and heaven at the scaffold just before he is to be hanged, is got to be one of the immortal speeches, together with the dreadful villain Hughes' speech of forgiveness and uh, love and kind of a turned heart from an otherwise vicious man, but is credible. Hugh's speech before he is hanged at the prison, his speech of how he has come to see things as a result of his terrible experiences as a leader in robbery, uh, rapine and pillage and the autistic, innocent Barnaby who speaks of heaven and the kingdom of heaven and especially the astronomy of God at the conclusion, together with Gabriel Varden's loving kindness, mercy, which at the very end will not rest until he has seen merciful justice done to, to uh to young Barnaby Rudge, in whose service his perfect freedom finds a victorious and extremely affecting and emotional answer at the end of this very great book. Thank you for listening. I hope it's uh, brought some perspective to the culture wars of life uh, without losing that which is still central and for which I myself uh, thank God every day that I can still say that I'm a Christian. So... Uh, on that rather heartful note, I say to you all, God bless.